I'm calling this sermon today, Pardon Me, and we're reading from John 8. If you have a Bible, you can turn to that chapter right now. But there's a great scripture about pardon in Romans 4. I want to read that to you first. It says, happy are they whose sins are forgiven, whose wrongs are pardoned. Happy is the person whom the Lord does not consider guilty. I like what Dick Foth said. He speaks here from time to time. You remember Dick? He said, it's the synopsis of the gospel. Jesus left his place to come to our place to take us back to his place. And we're going to talk about that today. Let's pray. Father, we invite your presence to come right now. Holy Spirit, Teach us the truth of your word. Illuminate and show us what you would have us to know. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is one of the great stories of the Bible we're looking at today. A lady who is um, trapped and shamed. And Jesus' response uh, to her is a response that he would give to us too. Now, I have three things I want to share in this sermon called Pardon Me. And the first is this, I need to be pardoned. You need to be pardoned. John 8, we start in verse 3. Here's the story. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Well, it's interesting here that if you look at verse 11, you can see that Jesus down the line says to her, uh, go and sin no more, which means he thinks she's guilty. He knows she's guilty. So this is a woman that actually did this and um, a woman that was completely guilty. But she's not the only one. We're guilty too. Oh, maybe not of that sin, but Romans 3.23 says this, all have sinned and are not good enough for God's glory. Isaiah 53.6 says, we every one of us strayed away like sheep who left God's path to follow our own. Yet God laid on him, and it's talking of Jesus, the guilt and sins of Of every one of us. So not only is she guilty, but we're guilty of sin. Not only does she need to be pardoned, but we need to be pardoned. Isaiah 53 12 says, He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. That's talking about us. That's what the Bible's referring to as us rebelling against God by sinning against Him. You know, sin deserves to be punished. Have you ever been completely guilty of something and um, deserved whatever punishment was coming your way? Do you remember a scenario like that? Years ago, I remember being in Newburgh and uh, I was a student. Karen and I were married and they had just remodeled the Springbrook Mall over there That was a long time ago, probably 25 years ago. And um, 
When they remodeled it, they made four lanes out front on 99 on the highway out there, and there had been two. And uh, so they made a double line going across there, and I was used to turning out of that mall left, and you're not supposed to do it anymore now that it's remodeled and they've redone the road. But I didn't know, and as I came out, uh, I crossed over that double line, and a police officer stopped me. And he came up to me at the, in the car and said, um, did you see that double line there? And I said, oh, no, I didn't. And, and um, I said, you're not going to give me a ticket, are you? Because I didn't know that was there. I've done this a hundred times before, but I, it, this is all new, and it just confused me. And he said, well, there is a double line. It was a double line on the other side of the road as well, and you, it's easily visible. I said, yeah, but I didn't mean to. It was an accident, and I, I, I'm so used to it not being there. He said, sir, there's a double line there, and you do deserve a ticket. I said, but I didn't know. And he said, but you deserve a ticket, don't you? I said, well, yes, sir, I do. So he went back to his car, wrote on this ticket, and brought it up to me, but it was a warning. And he wanted me to know that I was guilty but he extended mercy to me at that same time. He would have been um, completely justified in giving me a ticket because I deserved it. Well, aren't you glad we don't get what we deserve when it comes to relationship with Jesus Christ? We need to be part. And in this scenario we can see that God cares about this woman. Jesus is compassionate towards her. That's his attitude towards us too. He is a compassionate God. And he wants us to have a compassionate heart towards others too. But he's also a just God. I like this statement. He's more than just love. He's a just God. Hebrews 1.8 says this, but to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with the scepter of justice. That's talking about Jesus Christ. He rules with the scepter of justice. And that makes sense, doesn't it? When you think of someone who might be a murderer, maybe even uh, sinned against someone greatly in another way, Uh, If you think of rape and you think of those kind of things and how terrible they are, if someone didn't have a repentant heart uh, and they went before a a judge, doesn't it make sense that they, they would be justly judged? Of course it does. And God doesn't like sin because it hurts people. And He is full of justice as well. Christ is not only... Uh, the Lamb of God, He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah as well. And He's a righteous, holy God. This woman was caught in the act of adultery and according to the Old Testament law, she was supposed to be stoned to death. And she really had done it. Not only has she sinned, but we have sinned. Not only did she need to be pardoned, But we need to be pardoned. That leads me to my second point. Jesus wants to pardon us. Though we deserve 
to get punishment, Jesus wants to pardon us. Now, you don't get a pardon unless you ask for it. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you ask him to forgive you of your sin, that's when the pardon comes, by his grace. Let's pick up the story in verse 6 of chapter 8 in John. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. That's the question that I read earlier, uh, which, which said, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were trying to trap him in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now the purpose, the Bible says, of bringing this woman before Jesus was to trap and discredit Jesus. They were the religious leaders, the, the, uh, the Jews here, the Pharisees, and they, they wanted to make Jesus look bad. And there were really two things that they, that they knew that he would have to choose one or the other. If he said, yes, stone her, then the Roman authorities would object because the Jews were now occupied by the Romans and they no longer had the right to capital punishment. So though the Old Testament allowed them, the Romans would have gone after Jesus if he said, yes, stone her. Well, we know he didn't say that. But if Jesus says, let her go, then the people who were watching Jesus, he wouldn't be as popular with them because he had rejected the, the, the law of Moses. And so they're just trying to trap him. And they think, well, he's got to choose one of these. He didn't choose either. In ancient times, uh, women occupied a really inferior position to men. And they were mistreated without much thought about it. And the Pharisees bring this woman and they're, they're giving no thought to her and what she feels like. And if they're trying to trap her, I'm just guessing. Uh, it's a little bit of speculation, but it says she was caught in the very act of adultery. They probably set the whole thing up. They probably trapped her. And when they catch her in the act, well, here's, here's a question for you. Where is the guy? We got the girl there. Where's the guy? Well, it wasn't right all the way around. There were all kinds of things that were going wrong. And I'll tell you, you know, you know um, the women weren't honored in that culture as much as they should have been. The Bible lets us know that male and female are equal. Look what it says in Galatians 3.28. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I, um, I really believe that that compassionate heart that Jesus is about to show to this woman is the heart that God wants us to have for people who've n not only once sinned, but are in sin. I read this story. It's a story from the 1800s, testimony of a man who went into a saloon and he asked a, a woman when he went in there, how do you make your living? She said, I hang around the drinking saloons. Not quite understanding the meaning of her answer, he asked her again, what do you do for a living? But she laughed nervously and she gave no other answer. 
At that moment, the master of the lodging came in, shooting a stern look at her. He said, she's a prostitute. After saying that, he turned to the woman as though she were a dog. You hang around the saloons. Give the answer you ought to give. You're a prostitute. And the man said, his tone pained me. And then this is what the man said. He said, sir, we have no right to insult her. If we men lived as God would have us live, there would be no prostitutes. We ought rather to pity them than to blame them. The man said, I'd no sooner said this than I heard the boards of the beds creaking above me. As I looked up, there was a partition which did not reach to the ceiling. And there appeared a curly head with little swollen eyes and a dark red face. And then another head popped up and still another These women had stood up on their beds to look over and they were staring at me earnestly. There was an awkward silence. The master of the lodging cast his eyes down in confusion. The women drew in their breath and waited. I felt more confused than anybody, he says. I'd never thought a word dropped so casually could have produced an effect like this. It was almost like the movement of the dry bones in Ezekiel's vision, he says. I had uttered without thought a word of love and pity, and the word had thrilled them all. They looked at me as if they expected me to speak the words and do the deeds whereby these bones might come together, cover themselves with flesh, and live again. That man's name was Count Tolstoy. And he had compassion on those women and their hearts responded to it when they heard. The woman in this story seemed to have no value as well, at least not to the religious leaders. They didn't care about her. They didn't give a second thought about her. But Jesus did care. He cared about her as an individual. She was guilty, but in spite of that, he refused to condemn her. And that's what the grace of God does. It salvages, it doesn't destroy. So you've made mistakes, I've made mistakes. Well, the grace of God doesn't destroy us, it doesn't run over us, it doesn't cast us aside, it salvages us. And Jesus be- bends down and begins to ride in the dirt. I don't know exactly what he's doing. The Bible doesn't say what he writes or what he scribbles in the dirt there. Maybe he's just passing the time a little bit. Maybe, as one person said, he's writing down the names of the men that are in that circle, in that group that have actually been with this woman who may have been a prostitute. The story in verse 9 goes like this. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. He said, let the one without sin cast the first stone and they began to go away one at a time. The older one first, the older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there and Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. 
And you know, that's what he would declare to you and to I as well. To those who don't know Jesus, he, he doesn't come to condemn, he comes to save. He doesn't come to kill and destroy, he comes to give life and to give it abundantly. And because of that grace of God, we're offered forgiveness through Jesus Christ, his son. Here's one of the great passages of the Bible that explains this truth that Jesus is our Savior. Romans 5.8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Jesus Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Jesus pardons us. Jesus ransoms us by paying the price for our sin that we might be forgiven. And I just want to point out here, you know, there's only one way to God, and it's through Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, for there's only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus. Why only Jesus? Why? Because listen, that's the only way to heaven is Jesus. All these other roads that you hear about in our culture, the Bible says that there's no road that leads to God except through the mediator, Jesus Christ. It's the only way. The only way because Jesus was the only one to pay the price and die for our sins. None of those other gods with the small g have done that. God's plan, God the Father's plan was to give his son as a sacrifice and the wrath of God fell on him that it might not fall on us. And we deserve to be punished, but Jesus wanted us to be pardoned. And so God made a way. Have you heard of the name Michael English? Do you remember the song In Christ Alone? Who's who's heard that song In Christ Alone by Michael English? A lot of you. Surprises me a little bit. But that was about a decade, or, or well, actually it's about 17 years ago. Michael English won six Dove Awards and was the entertainer of the year back then. His first album sold 250,000 copies as a Christian artist. He was the entertainer of the year. One week after receiving that award, it came out in the news that he had committed adultery with one of the singers of another group called First Call and she was pregnant. Within a couple of weeks, his album was pulled from every Christian bookstore in America. No more promo, no more sales. And he was done as an artist. A divorce with his wife followed quickly after and he turned away from the Lord. He soon had a bout with addiction and painkillers. 
and he became a miserable man. I read a portion of his book this week called A Prodigal's Way Home. And he tells the story how after all this hassle and all his sin and all the pain, he was mad at the church, he was mad at people. After the divorce, he turned his heart back towards God some years later. And you know what he found? He found that Jesus forgave him, that Jesus still wanted him. He found that the church forgave him, that people forgave him and loved him. In Corinthians, we see that there was a man caught in sexual sin, but he had a repentant heart. And yet people weren't forgiving him. And listen to what the Bible says. This is, this is this attitude that Jesus has here towards this woman. And, and now the scriptures speak to us concerning that same attitude. 2 Corinthians 2, 7. Now, however, and this is the man caught in sexual sin, it is time to forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overcome by discouragement. Now let's stop and think about that for a moment. We could be the reason that people don't come back when they've sinned because we won't have a forgiving heart the way Jesus does. We could be the reason that they're seriously discouraged and turn away. Verse eight, so I urge you now, reaffirm your love for him. That's what Jesus does in this setting for this woman and that's what he wants his church to do as well. Third point here today. The pardon from Christ sets me free. What I mean by that is it sets me free from the power of sin to enslave me. The power of addictions. We can overcome temptation. Jesus said in verse 11 of John 8, he said this, go now and leave your life of sin. And here's my question about what Jesus said there. Would Jesus ask her to do something that she would not be able to do? He said, leave your life of sin. Would he ask her to do something that she wouldn't be able to do? Would he ask her to do something that he wouldn't help her to do? Leave that life of sin? When you accept Jesus into your heart, you don't have to be enslaved by sin anymore. You don't have to be bound by it. And some people just choose to live in it and think it's okay. It's not okay. You hurt, you hurt yourself. You hurt others. Your future won't be good if you willfully, continually, deliberately sin. And he forgives her. He loves her. He has a heart towards her. And then he says this, go your way and leave your life of sin. Interesting that his heart of love, but here's what he knows, a life of sin brings a lot of pain. He doesn't want her to have pain in this life anymore. But he wants her to know that he can help her do that as well. I remember when I was in college, I had a ball player buddy um, from San Francisco and his name was Kenny and um, one night he was talking about um, 
a little sexual escapade he had had with another woman. I said, Kenny, I don't want to hear that, man. I said, buddy, you, you know God, God doesn't like it when you do that, right? You know that. And you know you're hurting her when you, when you do that and you talk about her. And, and then he went on to talk about some other women he was pursuing. And I said, Kenny, do you really think God's going to bless this as you this pursuit in your life? And here's what he said to me. I'll never forget it. He said, God knows I'm a handsome young man, Stan. He knows my desires. He understands the, 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 the needs that I have. Listen, not even a wife would understand that. And we think God would. I mean, you, you, try, you, you try cheating on your wife and saying, well, you know, I'm just handsome and I, I, you know, I, I can't help it. I have these desires. No wife would put up with that. God won't put up with it either. Look what the Bible says about leaving sin. Therefore, dear brothers, Romans 8, 12, <clears throat> and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. No obligation to sin. You're not bound to do it. You saying, are, are you saying you can be sinless? I'm saying we can sin less and less all the time because of the power of God. Listen to this. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. That means that sin causes a lot of pain. But if you live through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature. The power of the Holy Spirit helps us overcome sin. Verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit of God, the power of God, the power of Christ helps us overcome sin. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll, provide, he'll also provide a way out so you can stand up under it. So there's no temptation you face that he can't help you to overcome. Don't lie to yourself. Don't believe the lie of the enemy. God can help you break away from the enslavement of sin. We're not saved because of our behavior. I know that. But when we receive Christ, our behavior changes because we have Christ in us, the power of Christ, to help us. Jesus himself judged this woman's sin is wrong. But rather than condemn the sinner, Jesus withheld the penalty so that he might say to her, go your way and sin no more. When I um, think of leaving a life of sin as he told her to do, I think of a story a, a young man told me just this week. His name's Armando. He lives here in this area. And Armando told me he used to be a gang leader in Los Angeles. His parents were working all day long, long and hard, and they wouldn't come home till late at night. And as a young man, he started to roam the streets with no supervision and got intertwined with gangs. Eventually became a leader, was addicted to drugs, 
a fighter, went to prison. And Armando told me about a young man named Marcos. It really blessed me to hear what this young guy did. Marcos was 14 when he would go through those gang-infested streets with the Bible under his hand and say to Armando and his friends, hey, come to church with me. Jesus loves you guys. You need Jesus, he'll help you. And Armando said, he used to say, and the others would say, Marcos, we don't want you here. Go away. We don't care about Jesus. We don't care about that stuff. Stop it and don't come back here. But he said, Marcos came back again and again and again. 14-year-old with a Bible in his hand. Yeah, he lived in the neighborhood, but he cared about these guys. Armando said, I went to church with him a couple of times. One time I said to him, I'm a little drunk. And Marcos said, well, that's all right. You can come anyway. There's probably other people who are a little drunk there. He never accepted Jesus then. But several years later, over a decade later, when he was on a four-day high in a motel on drugs, the manager came up and said, I know what you're doing in there, and I'm calling the police. When the manager turned away, Armando said he broke out of that room, ran down the streets, and ran all the way back to his mom's house across town. And he went in and he was taking a shower and he, and he was thinking of how broken his life was. He was addicted to drugs. He'd been in jail. His marriage was falling apart. He was miserable. And he said he remembered Marcos saying, you know Armando, Jesus can take that addiction away from you and he can make you well. He can give you a new life. He'll help you. And as he remembered that thought, he slumped down in that shower and he began to cry. And he said to Jesus, is that true? Jesus, could you really help me? Because I need your help. And then he said, would you help me now? And he said, Jesus met him right there and saved him. And Marcos, who had lived these lifestyles of sin, came out of sin. And now Marcos is years removed from that life of sin. And he's studying to be a pastor right now. Jesus changes lives. It's one thing to be saved, and that's the best thing, because you get eternity in heaven forever but Jesus helps you here on this earth too he can help you leave behind those things that cause you pain and others pain sin you know God doesn't want us to do it because it hurts us and it hurts others that's why he doesn't like sin 1 Corinthians 6 9 says this Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, 
nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now look at this next line. And that is what some of you were. Not that is what some of you are. They left their lifestyles of sin. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. He loves you. He wants to pardon you. But you have to reach out. We have to reach out and receive his love and grace. And perhaps you're a believer and you know the Lord, but there's, there's a certain sin that is besetting you. And God wants you to know today that he wants to help you overcome. And he can, he can do it. Ephesians 2, 4 says this, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved.